Good morning, ladies. Happy Tuesday. Yay. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into our lesson for today. Oh, God, you are great and like no other. And it's during this time this morning that we do want to be still before you and come to know you more. And so, Lord, please speak to each heart now and help us to respond as you would have us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This past Saturday, I was privileged to attend a women's conference at Willow Creek with the women of Naomi's house. The highlight of the day was hearing the testimony of a woman by the name of Catherine Wolfe. She's written a book that's called Hope Heals. At the age of 26, Catherine was married, had been married for a few years, and had a new baby son. In the kitchen of her home, one day she fell to the floor and became unconscious. Because of God's hand on her, it just so happens that her husband, who was in law school, came home in between classes and she was rushed to the hospital. She was in a coma for two months. Catherine had a malformed vein in her brain that exploded. She endured a 16-hour brain surgery, and the Lord saved her life. She is now in a wheelchair and has quite a few health problems that she's enduring But from that wheelchair, she boldly proclaimed the goodness of her God. And she is so sweetly and generously sharing her testimony. A message I think that she's longing to get out to all the Christians in America today. She says that when we suffer... We just pray for it to end. And she says, I want you all to know the deep truths of the Christian life that we find when we walk with Jesus, when we come to know the truths of his word. She said, when you think that your life is on a detour, you need to trust that it's the path that God has for you. And that when suffering comes, it is not the end of your story, but it's the beginning of a new story, a better story. She, in her broken body, so beautifully holds both the joys and the sorrows of this life. And in the midst says, Lord, Let me be faithful and let you get all the glory from this. So I think I can relate, I relate her story to Ahaziah. He wanted his bad times to end, right? And I relate to him. And so as we open our words 
this mo- our, our word this morning, I just pray that we wouldn't say, oh, that Ahaziah, that bad guy, <laughs> he got it all wrong. Would we say to the Lord, okay, here's my heart. Show me what you would have for me in Ahaziah's story. He is another troubler of Israel, isn't he? Just like his father. And it is Ahaziah who he walks in the footsteps of both of his, his mom and his dad. And we find this when you open up to the very end of the book of 1 Kings, chapter 22. Beginning with verse 51, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. So Ahaziah does not honor the Lord of Israel as the true God, but he turns to idols and he follows in the footsteps of Jeroboam. Who was the one, do you remember, from our very introductory day? That he was, he was the king who raised, uh, who created the golden calves and created new worship centers in Bethel and Dan. That was how he led the people of God into sin. And Ahaziah is following in his footsteps. Now, the Lord knew all of this was going to be happening when Israel first asked God to give them a king. I'd like to read a quote to you from Frederick Frederick Buechner. He says it this way, Israel did not want to be a holy nation. She wanted to be like all the other nations. She wanted clout. She wanted security. She wanted a place in the sun. It was her way she wanted, not God's way. And when the prophets go after her for it, she got rid of the prophets. And when God's demands seemed too exorbitant and God's promises too remote, she took up with other gods who still get our boats and our money and our nine-to-five energies because they could not care less whether we are holy or not. The gods who promise absolutely everything we want and give us absolutely nothing we need. So, Lord, rather than pointing the finger at the bad kings of Israel, rather than pointing the finger at those wandering, unfaithful Israelites, let, would we just say, Lord, open your word to us today. Open our hearts to your word Ahaziah's story is full of contrasts. We see the Lord, the living God, the high and exalted one. There's no one like him. And Baal, written small, right? The no God. 
and we see Elijah, the prophet, who is bold and is seeking his life's mission is to honor the name of the Lord as the one true God. And he's walking in obedience to him. And then we see Ahaziah, who does not honor the Lord, but just wants to go his own way. He's turned to other gods. Just like Ahab was destined to meet Elijah, the same goes for his son. And so here we see, once again, it looks as if there's a battle between Elijah and Ahaziah and the Lord and Baal. And there's going to be no battle at all. There will just be victory. Let's continue in our Bibles. Into Now we're jumping into the book of 2 Kings, beginning in chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 to 12. After the death of Ahab, Moab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no god in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are ascending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And Ahaziah said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed his 50. And then in verses 11 to 12, we find a repeat, right? A repeat. Did you notice, as I was reading through this passage, all the verbs talking about going, going up. Elijah went, went up, and coming, coming down. I want you to remember that phrase, come down, as we're continuing to look through this passage. So, Isaiah falls out of his window from his balcony to the ground below. He's injured, and he wants to know if he will recover. He leaves God completely out of the problem-solving process. He casts aside the worship of the Lord, the living God, and seeks help from a, a dead statue in a temple in the land of the Philistines. And he sends his messengers 
to Ekron, one of the most important Philistine cities. It's about a 25-mile journey. We know from our study that different gods were worshipped in, in different locations. And this Baalzebub was a Canaanite storm god, Baalhadad, in one of its localized forms. This name is a corrupted, corrupted version of Baalzebul, which means Baal the Prince or Lord the Exalted. This god was considered the patron deity of medicine or a god of prophecy, could tell the future. Beelzebub, with a B at the end, means Lord of the Flies. This was a derogatory name given to this god by the, by the writer of First and Second Kings. And we know, we've heard that name before, haven't we? You've seen it in the New Testament, Beelzebub. It's a common name for Satan, the prince of demons, the evil one. So we find that Ahaziah prefers Baal over Yahweh. He doesn't want to hear any bad news. His heart is hardened to the word of the Lord, and he's trying to find out his future. He's grasping for power and control. And yet, through Moses, the Lord had warned his people about turning to other gods and trying to find the future. He said in Deuteronomy 18, 13 to 15, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. And then in Deuteronomy 8, 19 and 20, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord. Isaiah is a king who's ruling according to his own plans and desires. He's not seeking to hear the voice of the Lord or to walk in his ways. He's not concerned about the welfare of the people that he is to lead and to shepherd. And those were the two, two basic commands that were given to Israel's kings, that they were to, to faithfully honor the Lord and lead the people in that way. And then they were to care for all the people justly. Isaiah is trying to vo silence the voice of the living God. He's trying to drown it out. And so here we have Elijah on his last mission, faithfully delivering, delivering a message God to another hard-hearted and stubborn king. And he meets the messengers on their way to Ekron and delivers God's message. The messengers never make their trek over to Ekron. But they turn around and they go right back to the king. And so Ahaziah says, well, why are you back so soon? <laughs> and then they, his own messengers, deliver the Lord's word to him. 
Is there no God in Israel? Why are you acting as if there is no God in Israel? And going to a dead God to inquire, to inquire of this God that is a statue that can't see, that can't hear, that can't act. Ahaziah acts as if the Lord is not present. He acts as if God knows nothing and can do nothing. Oh, Ahaziah is blind. He is sorely mistaken. He elevates the dead God of Ekron over the Lord of all, the Lord of Israel. the Lord, the creator of all, the sustainer of all things, the faithful, steadfast, and merciful covenant God of Israel who had redeemed them with a mighty outstretched arm and gave them the promised land and committed to dwell in the midst of his people, though they were stubborn, hard-hearted, and unfaithful. Ahaziah does not know his nation's God, and he does not know his own nation's history. His thinking is twisted. He thinks that a dead God of darkness is his friend. The question, is there no God in Israel that you would go and inquire of the God of Ekron? And then the prophecy, you shall surely die. You shall not come down. You shall surely die. It's a mercy to Ahaziah. He's been told in advance that his days are numbered. He has time to turn back to God. We know that he, his reign was short-lived. It was only two years. But I have a feeling he was in his bed for a long, long time. And every breath that he took was God's mercy to him. It was an opportunity for him to repent and turn to the living God to seek his mercy. I love that the king's messengers obey Elijah rather than the king. I love that they don't consult Beelzebub and they give Ahaziah Elijah's message. And then Ahaziah says, tell me about this guy that you met on the road. He's hairy. He's got long hair and a long beard, and he's wearing some hairy clothes and, and a leather belt. And somehow, although Ahaziah does not know the Lord and does not seem to know what happened on Mount Carmel when the prophet Elijah was there, he knows about Elijah's wardrobe, he knows his style. He knows. He's heard about Elijah. Elijah, we find that um, John the Baptist had the same kind of style going. <laughs> and their message was the same. It was the message of judgment and a call to repentance. It was the message being proclaimed to all. The Lord wants everyone to return to him. And we see, with his own messengers delivering the message, the word of the Lord cannot be silenced or changed or controlled. And then as we read on in verses 13 to 16, 
we see the contrast between Ahaziah and this third captain that he sends. Again, the king sent the captain of the third 50 with his 50, and the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants be yours. Be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah has sent two troops already to capture Elijah. And we see once again that God likes to work in situations where his people seem outnumbered. Right? Ahaziah must have had a little bit of fear of Elijah sending a captain and 50 soldiers to capture Elijah. And Ahaziah makes demands of Elijah. Come down is his message. And it's as if he's making this demand to the Lord, to the Lord of all, the exalted one. Ahaziah lords himself over Elijah and over the true Lord of all. He views himself as a king with ultimate power, just like the pagan kings of his day. And he thinks what he says goes. Everyone is to do his bidding. We know that Baal was considered to be a storm god whose weapons were fire and lightning. And, and we also know our God, the Lord, who has victory, has victory over all the no-gods, all the dead gods of this world. Any weapons that the dead gods have are no match for the Lord of all. And Ahaziah has chosen the wrong Lord. He's chosen the wrong God. His heart is hard. He does not honor the Lord as the living God. And he doesn't care about the people that he's to shepherd. He sends first 50 and then another 50. He has no concern for them. Oh, his heart is hard. He has no compassion when these men are consumed by fire from heaven. And ladies, I must say that we trust that the Lord knows every single heart and that he's a just judge. And he brings judgment down for the rejection of the Lord on each one. So here we see the contrast 
of Ahaziah who exalts himself. And this third commander who gets on his knees before Elijah. He humbles himself and he cares about his 50 men, (laughs) pleads for their lives. So we see Elijah was raised up to vindicate God's honor. He, he lived up to his name, didn't he, Elijah? He sought to, to exalt the name of the Lord, to honor him, boldly proclaimed his messages. He fulfilled his mission to seek to check and punish idolatry, to keep alive a faithful remnant in Israel. When all of the powers of the world seem to be leagued together to destroy the worship of the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord. The judgment is given and, and it, it happens, right? The Lord speaks. He had foretold of Ahaziah's death. Ahaziah had lifted himself up in pride over the Lord and his people. He had fallen down from his balcony. And though he wants to come down from his bed and live, he he dies. And I cannot help but think that Ahaziah is a picture of pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus addressing the the Pharisees. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then a passage we looked at last week, James 4, 6, and 7. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Oh, there are many warnings from Isaiah's life. One commentary gives a synopsis of Isaiah's legacy in this way. Everything he did was weak, faithless, and miserable. He achieved nothing but ruin and failure. He let Moab rebel. He hurt himself in a clumsy accident. He foolishly attempted to use military force against Elijah, God's prophet. And worse, worst of all, he sought help in the wrong place, in Felicia at the altar of a pagan god. So ladies, this morning, as we look at Ahaziah's legacy, his pride, his hard-hearted stubbornness, his refusal to listen to the warnings and to the loving commands of God, his seeking to rule his own life in his way and worshiping other dead gods rather than the Lord. It's a path that leads to failure and misery and destruction. I just can't get out of my mind this picture of him laying in his bed. There was time, plenty of time, 
for him to turn back to the Lord. And so I just want to ask you this morning, what trouble are you in right now? What does your recovery bed <laughs> look like? Are you heartbroken over a broken relationship, over a loved one who's lost, over a physical ailment? We, we each have our own trouble that we're facing. Would you take time this week to consider the questions that I've given to you this morning? And would you remember sweet Catherine Wolf with tears and joy and laughter proclaiming the goodness of God from her wheelchair? Where she says, don't try to change your bad times to good. Don't rush through the trouble and the suffering. Cling to the Lord in the midst of it. Seek to honor his name and bring him glory when you are hurting. So these questions must be asked. Rather than trying to control trouble or make it come to an end, how can we turn to the Lord when trouble comes? And I would give you a hint that we need to be in the practice of relying on the Lord every single day. Do we turn other places for help when trouble comes? It's when the trouble comes that our behavior reveals what we believe and who we worship. Is there a message from the Lord that you are resisting? Is there an area of your heart and life that needs to be humbled? And so I think the Lord's word to us today is, Oh, dear sisters, oh, dear children, <laughs> come down. Listen to my word. I'll be with you in your troubles. Come to me. And then the final question, is there a God in Geneva, Illinois? When you are in your troubled times, the way that you respond and trust in the Lord, does it lift up his name? Do people come to see and are they pointed to the Lord of all? Amen.